What's good, everybody? Welcome to an emergency edition of the Coast to Coast podcast. With me, as always, Sherelle McMillan. No Sean Moran. Sean is on a plane right now. I'm hoping Sherelle can hear me. Sherelle, you got anything? Thumbs up? Thumbs down? All right, we're good. Uh, appreciate everybody being here. Um, this is an emergency edition of the Coast to Coast, as you guys are well aware. Uh, some news broke today that Simeon Wilcher has asked out of his national letter of intent from North Carolina. So this show obviously is brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. I'm going to assume Johnny T-Shirt ain't sending Simeon Wilcher any goodies anytime soon. Um, but I wanted to go ahead and, and get a mention in for them. And now let's go ahead and kick it to Sherelle. Sherelle, uh, Sim Wilcher, 6'4", 165, guard. I think he fancied himself a point guard. Uh, there's been some developments recently, but I'll let you speak to him mostly. From Roselle, New Jersey, he had committed to North Carolina on the 15th of October, 2021. I remember you and I talking about this on the phone, like trying to scramble to get to do a pod to talk about it. So I want to ask you first, why is this developing now for Sim Wilcher asking out of his NLI? It's funny because uh, I'll answer that question in a second. But if you remember, we were doing the commitment podcast, you know, on YouTube and we were in the Smith Center and there were like people running yes. down for, uh, I guess that would have been late it was night. Late night. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, just funny. His first one. Yeah, that's been two, not quite two years ago. Uh, I think we're here now uh, because UNC's, I, I would say, I guess, um, where UNC is right now, I don't think aligns with where Wilcher wants to be now and moving forward, if that makes any sense. So <clears throat> I think when he was originally recruited, um, you know, he was he was on the ball. He was he was the point guard, mm -hmm. um, if you recall. UNC uh, went through a couple of guys in 2023 that they really looked at at that spot. It started with Rob Dillingham. He was the first offered way back when Roy Williams was still head coach. Um, I think this is pre-COVID uh, when Dillingham got an offer. And uh, that didn't materialize. So UNC piv quickly pivoted, I would say, um, in September of 2021 to a trio of league guards. Uh, it was Isaiah Collier, who's down from Atlanta, who's going to USC. It was London Johnson, who was going to OTE, um, also down from Atlanta, and it was Wilcher. And Wilcher kind of got first dibs on a visit. Uh, he visited, like I said, the week before um, late night in HD, like the official opening first act of Hubert Davis as a head coach. And uh, he committed about committed privately about two days later and committed publicly um, the next Friday. So, uh, you know, a, a quick recruitment that, that went fast and, you know, didn't really expect it when it happened. Uh, Collier and Johnson never even got a chance to visit because uh, they had Wilcher locked up and then they moved on. Uh, so fast forward, I would say a year, you know, you're always hearing stuff. There's always rumors. But every time we would talk to someone close to him, they would say, nope, not true, not happening. And so it was like you tried to get to the next step of the recruitment. It's like, okay. So he committed. Okay, so now is he going to take an official visit as a senior? When is he going to get back to Chapel Hill? And each time, the likelihood of this happening seemed to dwindle. 
Uh, so then you get to signing day in November of 2022. And it, it was kind of like, is he going to sign? You know, we think he is. We, we think everything's on the up and up. And then he signed. So you're like, okay, it's, it's, it's going to happen, even though maybe some people didn't think it was going to. Yep. And you keep moving through different things. And, you know, uh, I would say last month, as uh, some news happened privately that was announced publicly later, I think that's when there was a first little bit of hesitation. I don't think it's because of that per se and how it relates to things on the court, but I, I do think that was a factor. Um, and as to the why of right now, I don't have a good answer. Uh, I've gotten a ton of questions, texts about, are you surprised by this? And my answer to everyone has been the news itself, not super surprising. The timing, yes. Uh, so I think that's kind of where things stand. It's a little bit surprising that um, they decided to do it today um, versus maybe a month ago or two months ago or whenever. Um, but I think this was always kind of brimming just under the surface. Recognizing who we're talking to is a very pro-UNC audience that subscribes to the show, listens to the show, is joining us in the chat tonight on YouTube Live, uh, and we'll be listening to this later as it's downloaded as a podcast forum. I think the frustration is in the fact that, as you mentioned, North Carolina had moved on from a couple of other prospects. And, you know, to your point, the roster looks different now than maybe it did when, when Wiltshire committed. Um, the optics of this, I think, are a struggle for a lot of fans. Uh, you know, as you said, if if he if he decommits before signing day, I think people can tolerate it. Uh, if he would have decommitted any time in that long span between you know, October the 15th of 21 and signing day, I think folks would have understood it. But now you've got a kid who, you know, a couple of weeks from reporting to camp or reporting to, to campus is no longer wanting to be a part of the North Carolina program. Can you explain to us a little bit about are the optics that bad or is this just one of those, this is what we have with college ball now situations? Yeah, I, I would say the, you know, the, the game is the game. And uh, it, this kind of thing is just going to happen. And I, I think you have to separate it from kind of the fandom and then um, kind of the wheelchairs doing what they think is in their best interest. I understand there was a commitment. I understand they signed, but as long as there are ways to get out of those things, then I think people will take these decisions down to the last possible minute. Because um, if there's anything that I've learned over the years is that generally uh, I, I'm, I'm more pro labor than I've ever been in my entire life. <laughs> not to get, not to get like political or anything. You Jimmy Hoffa clone yeah, you. Not to get political or anything, but I, I think you have to understand that these people are trying to do what they feel is best. And sometimes that's not on the time we expect or the time we think. Sometimes that's just, uh, you know, on, on their time. And on their time happen to be very inconvenient for UNC and what they're trying yeah. to put together and just a few days before he was set to move in on campus. So I, from the fan base, I, I get the frustration 100%. I'm not for sure. some guy up here telling you not to be upset, telling you that this is great news or anything like that. It's not good news to lose a good player. It's not good news to lose a player who really bought into Hubert Davis's vision for the program before a lot of others. I mean, he was the first 2023 commit and it happened just so quick. Um, you know, no one really expected it. And it was because they felt like Hubert Davis was going to be special. Uh, yeah. So I'm not saying it's, it, it's not a good thing by any stretch. I'm just trying to show the, the viewpoint of, of the family in that until it's 100% done, finalized, 
there's still a chance that, you know, there may be a better situation for their son. And I think that's that's what happened here. Going to do a little homonym work here. You said it, there's a chance it may not be done, finalized. Let's talk about another done and a different way to spell it. North Carolina lost DeMarco Dunn recently um, at the last, kind of almost at the 11th hour of the transfer portal closing. Um, that leaves North Carolina essentially with, what, three guys at the position now, uh, at the guard position. You've got Tremble, you've got Elliot Cadeau, you've got R.J. Davis. Uh, does that mean you know more plans for some of the new transfers to maybe play big at the two? Um, or do you just feel like North Carolina is going to try to go find somebody else with, with what's left, uh, to, to fill that, you know, to fill another guard spot. Cause they just, they need bodies now. I mean, you, you're talking about open scholarships, but more importantly, like it's now where, where it was a log jam recently. Now it's, it's nothing. Well, I, you know, I think if you consider Cormac Ryan, a two, which he has played some previously, then you have kind of a, a balanced backcourt. You've got four guards in Ryan, in Trimble, in Davis, and in Cadeau. Uh, and then Harrison Ingram, which, you know, Hebert Davis told him that he would play some on the wing. I, I know people have their thoughts about that one way or the other, but, uh, you know, we know what Hebert Davis has told him because Ingram said it to us when we interviewed him that, you know, he's, he's going to play some three and he can play some four. So if you think about it that way, um, you've got him there, you've got Wojcik, who can play some two and some three. And then you have Withers along with Ingram, who um, Ingram along with Withers, who can play some four. Washington, who could probably play four in some limited minutes. And then you have Baycott. So positionally, I don't think it's that much different than it was before. Um, you know, I think you have uh, balance, whether or not it's enough. You know, I'll, I'll let other people be the judge of that. Um, <laughs> But I, I do think they'll try to use another scholarship, at least. It's, it's very late in the game, later than yeah. it's ever been. Um, but there's still players out there, and there's still chances to add to the roster. So we'll, we'll see what they do. Um, you know, again, this is not great news. It's, it's no way to, to spin <laughs> it into a positive. Um, <clears throat> but they do still have, you know, I would say four guards and two wings and a few bigs. So the, the, I guess where you're looking at where there might be a deficiency is kind of a little bit on the wing. Um, well, and again, it's it's never a good thing when North Carolina is looking for shooting, and the kid asking out of his li was you know was a was a shooter. Um, but hear what you're saying. You made a quote a second ago that's later than it ever was. Uh, my late great aunt Pat used to say that whenever I'd ask her what time it was. Um, so I want to ask it. You, you know, you talk about open ships. Is it too late for Hubert Davis to pivot? I mean, it may be too late for him to pivot in the 23 class, but uh, we've seen crazier things in the past. What do you think happens, or is it just too early to tell? Um, from a sourced reporting standpoint, I think it's too early <laughs> to tell. But if you can play uh, like we're about to get reckless, you know, I'm doing my terrible Levitard impersonation, but like what follows here is speculation. It's not a report. It's just us talking. It's some dudes and and, and people talking ball, okay? But I mean, logically, wouldn't calling someone who may have been at your school already, who hasn't committed elsewhere, mm. who happened to play a similar position, wouldn't that make a ton of sense? Mm. I don't know. I, I, again, this is not a report. This, this is not, not a report. This, this is Sherelle yeah. talking to Joey with a bunch of people watching. <laughs> yes, this is a speculating. But I mean, to me, that makes a ton of sense to say, well, you know, you haven't gone anywhere else. Maybe you can come back. Um, and that would give you your 11th player. It would give you 
um, additional, uh, you know, backups at, at, at the wing. Uh, and experience. Uh, and experience. So why not try that? I think that's that's the most logical, you know, firm starting point. But I, I do think there will still be players available, uh, grad transfers and everything. And you're not looking for, at least I don't think the UNC staff is looking for someone who can come in and start at the two or three. That, or, that or, even, is, or even play 25 minutes a game. Yeah, like, that, ship, not... that ship has sailed. Right. Um, but you can't tell me there's not someone who uh, out there who you know wants to come in and they have one year left or, or maybe uh, a couple of years left and their last destination wasn't great and they see North Carolina with three scholarships open and they say, wow, I can play seven minutes a game at UNC, be a backup, whatever, and if somebody gets hurt or if I play well, maybe I'll earn some playing time. I can collect a lifetime of free Jordans and get a whole bunch of free swag and be on TV a lot. It, you know, there are, are less appealing things than being the 11th or 12th guy at UNC. So there are players out there. Um, we'll see what UNC decides to do. But I, I, I think, you know, DeMarco Dunn is kind of the logical starting point. Again, don't know anything. Haven't talked to him. Haven't talked to anyone close to him. But that seems like somewhere where you would start if you were UNC. Well, that's uh, appreciate the levity there, as always. It's one of the things I think you're really good at. And I know you don't like me giving you compliments, but I don't mind saying it. Um, so before we get out of here, and again, this is a an emergency Coast to Coast podcast. We're discussing uh, Simeon Wilcher asking out of his NLI, which just doesn't happen quite uh, very often. And shout out to, uh, to Taylor Viplis, who's in the chat, which, guys, if you've ever seen Star Power, I mean, South Beach <laughs> is lighting up our chat right now. So I haven't, I haven't talked to anyone. I don't know anything. I haven't talked to anybody. <laughs> don't know anything. Don't that, know is, anybody. that is Sherelle McGreenberg. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's well done, guys. Um, so let's take a couple of questions. And I do, before we get there, I, I, just speaking from a leadership standpoint, and, and anybody you've ever heard before, I know Mac Brown likes to use this a lot, but I mean, just in my own career and, and some of the best mentors I've ever had, you know, people are saying, don't let the player out of his NLI. And and I realize that's probably coming from a place of emotion and, and holding a grudge, but that doesn't do anything good for the program by holding a kid's feet to the fire, because then you have potentially parents or anybody else in his camp become malcontents. And you have a kid in your locker room who's going to spend hours upon hours upon hours with your team that you're trying to get success out of being a potential malcontent. And you just can't risk that. Uh, I understand that, you know, the knee jerk reaction say, well, don't let him out of it. He signed in LI, like make him learn. I get that. That's legit. But in the real world and in college basketball, you just can't do that. I mean, there's, I know people are, I know people are suggesting that you know maybe somebody should be the first. I just I don't see any situation where that turns out good well, for the school or the program or or the kid and his and his family. Well, I'll, if we can think about one, because there's an anniversary today, six years ago, or excuse me, seven years ago, um, uh, there was a player uh, coming to UNC, uh, transferring from a, another ACC school. And the ACC school wasn't going to let him do an intra-conference mm -hmm. transfer. And it was because of attention uh, from, you know, people on Twitter like Jay Billis and mm -hmm. uh, just fans in general that Cam Johnson was able to transfer to UNC because Pittsburgh ultimately decided, yeah, this bad pub isn't worth uh, not letting him, you know, wait. You, can, you can't win that. Era. You cannot yeah, win that. Right. So there's, it's, it sounds great. Um, you know, Jason Cable to this day, I think is haunted by something he did at Appalachian State. There was a player who had signed with him and he uh, wanted to go elsewhere and they didn't let him go. And he made the kids sit for a year. 
and you know the Jeff Goodmans of the world, the people who um, really have the pulse of college mm-hmm. basketball, kind of let Jason Gable have it. And you can't tell me that that hasn't hurt his coaching career. Um, obviously, the wins and losses are part of it too. But I think you know something like that. Um, AU coaches, high school coaches, writers don't take to that well. So it's a just a bad look and a bad strategy for your program. And that's when I say when I say as long as there are ways to get out of some of these things, people are going to take decisions to the last minute. That's what I mean, because, yes, you know, a, a letter of intent is, is signed and that's kind of where you have to be um, if you sign the paper most of the time. But it still is kind of only functional because it, it loses some of that power because of um, the public and, and uh, the ability to, to put pressure on the school to release the kid. Um, I want to go to a, a comment that Trip McIntyre made. I'm sorry, a question that Trip McIntyre made earlier in the show, and I'm, I want to make sure we address it because I think it's a good question. Is the new norm to only have six or seven guys because no one within the top 200 players believes they shouldn't play 30 minutes a game their freshman year? So to reword that, is the strategy now going to be only take six or seven scholarship guys because or blue chip guys? And this has kind of been permeating even back to when Roy Williams is still coaching. Is a strategy now to only take a couple of blue chip guys because everybody seems to think that they're going to be a starter in year one, uh, you know, walking onto campus? Yeah, yes and no. Um, I, I don't. I'll say yes and no is my official answer. I, I think um, there are, I don't think every player in the top 30 or in the top 200 wants to play 30 minutes a game, uh, wants to but it's not a requirement for them to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of it is coaches really identifying um, who is in the person's life, who is in their ear, and kind of what their goals are, and being very clear in the communication of what that player can expect if certain scenarios happen. So I think, to me, it's more of a crystal clear communication slash almost being blunt to a point mm-hmm. um, of saying, this is where I see you. This is what I expect of you. If you do X, Y, and Z, you might be able to get X amount of minutes, you know, mm-hmm. kind of almost like a formula. I think that's kind of where you have to be to have some roster continuity. Um, you have to have guys who are buying into your program. And I don't think necessarily that um, you have to only have six or seven. I think you can have 10 or 11. It's just much harder than it used to be. Sure. It's still possible. Um, but there are a lot more factors now than there were, you know, three years ago, let alone 20 years ago, that impact what kids decide to do ultimately when they um, go to a school, decide to transfer or whatever. So, again, my answer is yes or no, just because um, I do think they're out there. They're just a lot harder to find. And then when you get them, they are harder to keep. And let's be honest. I mean, save for like 1% of the folks probably in this chat or listening to this, and maybe up to 5% of folks listening to this uh, as a podcast, none of us have experienced this. So like, we don't really understand all of the variables and especially all the variables that happen now uh, as the landscape is just so different, like Sheryl just said. Hey man, I wanna ask you this because a lot of people are, are, are asking, and I think it's a legit question. Um, you have any inclination to think, and this comes from uh, Sharika Cruz, any thoughts to think this affects Ian Jackson at all? Again, you know, another kid expected to be in the backcourt in the 24 classes, committed, very highly rated player, uh, brings a ton of scoring ability. Uh, but I think a lot of folks immediately think, all right, well, Cadeau reclassed. There were talks of Stevenson reclassing. Um, 
does this affect Ian Jackson at all? Because I think early on he was the one that a lot of folks thought would would reclass before uh, Elliot Cadeau would. Um, obviously, never say never, uh, but I don't think so. I don't think he's reclassing. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll have something up on the site hopefully in the next two or so hours uh, with a couple of quotes from him just about potentially reclassing and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, every time we've talked to anyone close to him or to him, the standard line has kind of been no reclass. We don't believe in reclassing. It's not happening. We're not reclassing. We're not reclassing. And today is June 6th. So if you're going to reclass um, and be in Chapel Hill, you know, obviously the, the staff would love for you to be there for the second summer session, which yeah. starts, uh, I think, exactly three weeks from yesterday. So it starts in 20 days. Um, more than that, though, they usually have, uh, there's an acclimation period for incoming freshmen, and they like for a freshman to take part in Carolina basketball camp, which starts next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so despite what Jackson has said, that he's not reclassing, folks close to him have said he's not reclassing, even if all that changed in the next couple of days, that's a lot of paperwork and a lot yeah. of logistic to get through in less, you know, two and a half weeks. So the potential of it happening decreases each day, even though, as I said before, Jackson and everyone around him has been fairly consistent for the better part of six months that he's not reclassing into 2023. Shout out to the 390 folks that are watching this live. And we also want to give kudos to anybody who's listening to this once it gets uh, uploaded to your podcast feeds. Uh, Sherelle, I want to ask you, um, do you feel like, and this is the, this is the tricky question, and I think it's kind of the, the one that everybody wants to ask when bad news comes out. Do you feel like this is some sort of endemic problem with the staff? Do you feel like this is something that's going to, to permeate in the future? Do you feel like this is, you know, an isolated situation or is this people really need to be freaking out about Hubert Davis and what his staff's able to do or not able to do? I mean, it's, I think it's a fair question. The, the only two decommitments in the history of Carolina basketball have happened in the last, you know, 11 10 and a half, 11 months. Um, They're both in the class of 2023. So I I understand uh, the frustration from the fan base about that. Whether or not this is more uh, a systemic problem for UNC as presently constructed, I don't think so. I think, um, well, let me put it this way. If you you start looking at everything and saying, well, in this case, this happened, in this case, Mm -hmm. this happened, in the end, it's still the same issue. So, Maybe there there could be something there. I don't necessarily see it as being like a UNC deal. I see it as more of being these individual situations had some um, complexity that maybe uh, wasn't fully understood or maybe wasn't expected. And when that happens, it's it's tough to uh, kind of recover. You can be on it, but if somebody just doesn't want to be there, they're not going to be there. You can't force them, you know, to come yeah. and come and play. I mean, I guess you technically could, but who wants somebody who doesn't want to play for you playing right. for you? So, you, don't want, you don't want that around your team. Yeah, so it's kind of a, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think it's necessarily a UNC deal. I think there's, these are some two particularly, like I said, complex situations that had other things going on. Um, and I do think that North Carolina, well, let's be honest. Let me, let me back up a second. Let me be honest. <clears throat> so when you, when you decide that... Um, someone like Elliot Cadeau, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to recruit him. I think we talked about this so many times, Joy. You have to recruit kids now in two classes. So yeah. when you offer Cadeau last July, you say, 
We'll take you in 2023. We'll take you in 2024. Now, whether or not you necessarily believe that when it happens, you know, that's what you say. You got to sell it. You got to sell it. As it gets closer to time for those decisions to be made, then you have to make decisions and you have to start doing math. I think anyone uh, who logically looked at UNC's roster said, man, if they take Cadeau too, in addition to Wiltshire and Dunn and Trimble already there and Davis is coming back and they signed Wojcik. I mean, that's a lot of people. And they signed Ryan. That's a lot of people to play kind of in that one to two range. So conventional wisdom would say, if you take Cadeau, you're probably going to, you know, lose at least a guy or two. Not saying that all the actions are one to one, but, you know, kind of the downflow, the, the result of that, um, kind of that butterfly effect is that you could lose some guys. So you have to consider that. And I think, you know, Carolina must have done the math and said taking Cadeau was worth potentially losing, you know, Wiltshire and potentially uh, or losing Wiltshire and, and potentially losing one other. So um, I think it says a lot about how they feel about Elliot Cadeau, that they were willing to take him in 2023. Sure. Um, but I think it also is it's just a sad deal because, like I said, Wiltshire has been committed to UNC for the longest time yeah. and really bought into the program uh, before anyone else did. So it's, it's kind of the reality. Um, you hate to see something like that happen so close to him enrolling at UNC, but that's that's where I think college basketball is. This is not um, something that's just happening to UNC. There was another, I would call it blue blood school, who lost a player who asked out of his letter of intent, who um, maybe wasn't quite highly as ranked, but was a highly ranked player. And it just happens. Um, it, it happened on Tobacco Road as well uh, mm -hmm. about a month ago. So mm -hmm. it seems to be just one of those things. Um, yeah. And I would, you know, again, we talked about this before the show tonight, Sherelle, about, you know, we needed to bring our, our ledge talking shoes just to keep the, keep everybody from, from taking that head dive. But honestly, like it, this, this isn't good, like you said earlier, but it also does not mean the end of North Carolina basketball as we know it. I would caution anybody who's, who is in that line of thinking right now to please pumpeth thy brakes. Um, and, and just consider like, hey, yeah, this sucks, but this, this isn't really the a trend, nor is it the end of basketball. Um, I think one of the things that a lot of people are upset about is I'm not going to be able to work Sim Wiltshire into Johnny T-shirt reads in the future. Like if, if we're being honest, that's the real crime here. That's the real loss for everybody is that I'm not going to be able to talk about Simeon Wiltshire walking into uh, East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill and getting Johnny T-shirt goodness. And, and that's that's a shame um, that is going to be hard for the fan base uh, inside Carolina subscribers and all of America to deal with. But uh, I will say if you're missing your Sim Wilcher Johnny t-shirt connection, fear not because there is a connection to be made for you. Uh, if you go, just go to Johnny t-shirt.com yourself or stop in the store, use your premium code. If you're a premium subscriber, get an extra 10% off. Uh, they're already great prices, amazing selection, uh, it's summertime. Go get you a sweet UNC tank to wear when you're headed to the beach this summer. Um, we appreciate Johnny T-Shirt sponsoring Inside Carolina content, including emergency podcasts like this very one that you are a part of tonight. Uh, we're thankful for them. Shell, is there anything else you want to mention uh, before we get out of here tonight? And again, over 400 people watching this live uh, was pretty impressive. So thank you guys for being here. Yeah, I would say in my personal opinion uh you can take that for whatever it's worth if it's worth something to you great if it's not that's fine as well 
I don't think this is a situation of a player, um, as the young people would say, ducking the smoke or anything like that. Um, I think it is more complex to that, and it's it's pretty reductive to just say, oh, he didn't want to compete. Um, I, I just knowing Wilcher and and knowing the family, I don't particularly buy that. Some of the things I don't think we probably will ever be able to fully get into, but I, I think you should dissuade yourself of the notion that it was just he didn't want to compete because uh, I, I don't think that's the case. Um, no cap. Say no cap to that. All right. Um, uh, and I want to say, yeah. uh, and I would no. say that, you know, uh, to everybody who's listening, um, again, sucks tonight. Take a deep breath. Um, hang out with your kids, pet your dog, touch some grass, whatever. Uh, things will get better. And like Cheryl said, uh, it would be, it would make sense for North Carolina to try to do something to fill um, some scholarships relatively soon. We don't know that, but uh, just hang tight for, cause for every, uh, every bad, there's always a good. Um, I think that's it, dude. I don't have uh, a ton else to add. Um, again, three open scholarships. Now uh, Cheryl kind of talked about the, the spots and who's going to play where, but obviously as things change or as things, uh, materialize and South Carolina will be on top of it. So just stick around, watch I see. Uh, and if you're not a premium subscriber, nights like these are when you absolutely should be because you'll get the you'll get the real story. Um Trill, I appreciate you making time tonight. Thanks to everybody for being a part of the show. Uh if you're listening to us on podcast, make sure you rate and review us. Uh, and if you have not subscribed, make sure you do that too. But until next time, for Trill McMillan, uh for Sean Moran, who's not with us, I know he would like to be here, and he's here in spirit. Uh, shout out to John Bauman for his help with StreamYard, and shout out to John Siegley for producing. This has been the Coast to Coast Podcast. I'm just Joey Powell. We'll talk to you next time. Late.